So Hebrews chapter 7, hopefully you're there. And if you're reminded, right, we've talked about that quote from Donald Barnhouse or Dr. Donald Barnhouse. And his quote on the book of Hebrews is that Hebrews is written or was written to Hebrews to tell them to stop acting like Hebrews, right? That's a great way to just remember the context of this book when it was written. You have a group of Hebrews, a group of people who believed in Judaism, that Judaism was the way they would see God. Judaism was the way that they would be right with God. But what the law proves and shows us is that no one is perfect. And even the law is not enough to get us right with the Lord. So because of this, Christ comes, and now He's, right, the door, the way, He's the lamb, He's the sacrifice, He's our propitiation, He is our everything. So these people, they were struggling. They were fighting. People were fighting against them. Perhaps they had gone through some difficult seasons of life. Perhaps they had gone through some form of persecution, whether it was through family, through friends, through business, and now these believers are thinking, maybe we should go back to Judaism. Maybe we should just go back. Maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe this isn't the way. And if we've been paying attention, the author of Hebrews, he's been trying to get to this point of Jesus being our high priest for quite some time now. Again, for proper context, let's first go to Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, we'll look at verse 17 and 18. I hope and pray you have your Bible. It's so important. Again, here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, what we do is we study the Bible. So every Sunday, every Wednesday, what are we doing? We're having a Bible study. So the only way you can study is if you have the book for the class, right? So our book for our classes, it is the Bible. So Hebrews chapter 2, and in verse 17 and 18, it tells us, Therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So again, in Hebrews 2, this is where he first starts drawing this picture that Jesus is our high priest. And first and foremost, he is a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. Then if you go to Hebrews chapter 5, we turn there a couple pages to the right. Then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, again, he wanted to dive in once again into Melchizedek. And he says, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need of someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. That was the end of chapter 5. He wanted to dive into Melchizedek, into Jesus, into the priestly order that Jesus comes from or who Jesus is attached to, right? But he couldn't because he said they have become dull of hearing. You've heard the word of God so much that you've just become dull to it. It's not important to you. It's not giving you life. It's not super exciting anymore. And now your ears, in a sense, have become callous. 
And he says, you've been a Christian for such a long time. You should be a teacher by now, right? If someone says, hey, how long have you been in college? I've been in college for eight years already. You think, wow, right? I have a PhD. I have a master's student. I have a doctor that I'm speaking to. And they say, no, I'm just, I'm just the last year into my AA, right? Just eight years over, I'm into the last year of my AA. And for some believers, that's the way we live. I know for many years, that's the way I lived, that I didn't want to grow. I didn't want to mature. And then through chapter 6, we looked at the warning of not maturing and not growing with the Lord. And then the warning of going back to our former way of life or going back to any other way that we would confess or say or believe is the way to God. Or is the way to heaven. For these people in this time, the warning was that, hey, if you go back to Judaism, if you go back to trying to sacrifice, there is no way to find forgiveness of sins going down that road. So the warning to us, right? Chapter 6, it's always a spicy chapter. If you would, you can go back and watch that teaching if you want to go there. But then in verse 19 through 20, he begins to dive in. And now we get our proper context for chapter 17. He says in verse 19, chapter 6, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, the Lord, he does this work for each and every one of us. And now Jesus, he is our anchor. Jesus is our anchor. He's the one we hold to. And right, our anchor holds within the veil. We hear that song, right? Cornerstone. And Jesus, he's the cornerstone. He's the anchor of our salvation. He's the cornerstone, the anchor for us to have this friendship and relationship with God that we can seek God, right? Sometimes we've spoken about that the high priest could only talk with God one time out of the year. He could only be in the presence of God one time out of the year. He had to make sure that he was blameless, that he was right, that he was righteous. They would have the bells tied to the bottom of his robe and they would be listening for the bells. And any moment the bell stopped, they would pull him back in with a rope because they knew he had dropped dead because he wasn't clean and wasn't blameless before God. Family, thank the Lord that's not the relationship we have to have with God anymore. That now Jesus, he's our anchor. He's the one that goes behind the veil, right? He's the one that upon his death, the veil tore, was ripped in two. And this veil, it wasn't a napkin. It wasn't a pair of cheap bed sheets. But this veil, this curtain was as thick as a telephone book, right? And now it's torn from top to bottom. I believe it's 20, 30 feet of length just ripped in half in a sense by God himself saying, hey, Jesus, now he is our way to God. He is the way, right? So now he's our anchor. He's the one that gives us the presence behind the veil. He's the forerunner that entered in for us. Even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So again, we think of the context here. And the context is perhaps it was difficult for these new believers to trust in Christ, to trust in this new religion when there was no high priest to focus in on. When there was no one man that was the mediator between God and men that they could speak with anymore. But now they had to have what? 
they had to have faith that Jesus was this man. And again, the wrestling that maybe went on for them. Hey, I could go right now to the temple, smelling the sacrifices. I could go about my religiosity and see and feel and speak with the high priest. But with Jesus, right, sometimes we feel, we sense like we're praying to no one. Like, man, is he even hearing my prayers? Is he even out there? And we should draw a lot of comfort from chapter 7 because not only is he our high priest, but he's always looking to make intercession on our behalf. He's not the high priest that's only open from 9 to 5. In this day and age, I don't think anyone could just come to the high priest, but very select people. But now we have Christ Jesus who's willing to come to us at any moment, at any day. Wherever you're at right now, Christ wants to speak with you. He wants to mediate for you to God and God to you. So again, perhaps it was difficult for them, the change of scenery. Perhaps for you today, this is difficult, right? This change of scenery, right? Man, did they get rid of the pulpit? Did they get rid of the church? What in the world is going on? Right? May we be reminded that Christ, that God, he's not just attached to certain methods, right? Or a certain way of doing things. God, he can only speak to me in a blue chair with a gray rug with a pulpit. No, God, he wants to speak to you in a relationship. And in a friendship. So perhaps for these people, these new believers, the new methods were so difficult for them. Because they went from being able to go to the temple, this amazing, this majestic building that was covered with gold, covered with cedar. You would be able to see the temple from anywhere within Jerusalem to now having to meet in small houses. In these small little huts. And perhaps again, they were struggling with this. All to say these people, these men, they had to be willing to seek God even if it didn't all make sense to them. They had to be willing to seek God even if it didn't completely make sense. And for us today, I don't know how many of you guys struggle with not having a high priest, right? I don't think many of us. But some of us, we struggle with, man, creation versus evolution. How could it really happen? Is this really real just to believe that God just spoke and it happened, right? Should I really believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Should I really believe in the Trinity? Should I really believe in these miracles that God did? Should I really believe that a man was swallowed by a fish? And family, you may need to put this, in a sense, thought process to the side and say, hey God, you are God and I am not. And even if I don't understand it, I have faith and trust in you. So again, for us to say, Lord, what's going on? And for us to trust in him, even if it doesn't make any sense. And finally, before we dive in, it's important for us to know that we don't need a human being to bring us into the presence of God. This is very dangerous within religions that there's a man that they say is like God. And now the only way you can have access to God is if you speak to this man. This is the very thing that Jesus came to abolish. That Jesus came to destroy. And now you have many false gospels. You have many cults. You have many other religions that they'll tell you, no, you have to do exactly as I tell you to do. God speaks to me and then I speak to you. We have to be careful with that. We even spoke last week how every human man has problems in their theology. No human man has theology completely 100% perfect. And we should be okay with that. 
Because God is God and we are not. And now we can draw near to God. We can have those conversations with God. We need to make sure that it's right in accordance with his word. But we need to be careful that we're not always seeking one man or one woman out to speak to us on behalf of God. God wants to speak to you first and foremost through his word. That's how he wants to speak to you, right? Here at Calvary Chapel Miami, we speak of... uh, a warning, right? Some people, they're pastor hogs. And anytime a new pastor comes, they need to speak to them. They need to pour out their life to them. And it's as if only guest speakers that come to Calvary Chapel Miami can speak to them on behalf of God. And family, that's not what God has for you. God, he wants to speak to you through his word. Does God use pastors? A hundred percent. We need those shepherds. God has put those men in our lives for a very specific purpose. But That shouldn't be the only time or the only way we speak to God. Jesus is our high priest. So now through this chapter, he's going to reveal to these Jewish believers, hey, Jesus not only is a high priest, but he's the best high priest. He's from a better priesthood than even the Levitical priesthood or the priests that come from the lineage of Aaron. So, hey, let's read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And then again, we're going to dig deep for the context and then just go smooth through the rest of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, it tells us, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first, being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So hey, let's turn to the book of Genesis chapter 14 so that again we can see what is this author of Hebrews referencing this guy with this crazy name, right? Say Melchizedek three times fast. All right, let's let's go back and see who really is this king. Who really is this guy? So we go back to Genesis chapter 14. And in verse 18 through 20, this is really the only time that we see this king Melchizedek within the Bible, within the book of Genesis. Then we don't hear about him again. And so the book of Psalms, David, he has a prophetical psalm. I love the book of Psalms because of that. He has a prophetical psalm. And then we don't hear about Melchizedek again until the author of Hebrews. So for us to be careful, some people, they write off the Old Testament and they just say, hey, the Old Testament, it doesn't matter. It's not important. Hey, that's bogus. That's a lie. Every verse in Scripture is important. Every verse in Scripture, it is to edify us. God wrote it down. God, he wasn't looking for filler, right? Even the best TV shows, they have filler episodes. And we say, man, I didn't need that. But they needed the money from the commercials. That's why they did it. But God, it's not like he has filler episodes, right? Or filler Scripture. How important is this man that he only appears in three verses in Genesis... A thousand years go by, and then he appears in one verse in Psalms, 
And then another thousand years go by, and then he appears a few times in the book of Hebrews. Again, every piece of scripture is so important for us. But in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 through 20, it tells us, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Again, this king, he just appears onto this scene. Some people, they really like to mystify him, right? They just appeared in smoke and he's this amazing and incredible being. Some people think he's an angel. Some people think it's Jesus and this is a Christophany. But throughout Hebrews and even in Genesis, we really get the picture that he's just a man. He's just a man, but he's a picture of Christ, right? He brings the bread. He brings the wine. He's not only a king, but he's also a priest. So he's a beautiful picture and representation of who Jesus is. And again, God being God, he allowed this Melchizedek to exist around the time of Abraham, way before the tribe of Levi, way before Aaron and Moses were around. And he has him there so that he's his priesthood can be connected with Melchizedek, right? Now we go to Psalm 110, Psalm 110. And this is the prophetical psalm that I mentioned. And this is what has been quoted a lot throughout the book of Hebrews. And it's Psalm chapter 110. And we'll read verses 1 through 4 because it's a prophecy about Jesus. So this is really important for us. And it tells us, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth, and the Lord has sworn... And will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, God had set this up just for these Hebrew believers. For them to know, hey, Jesus, he is a greater high priest. Jesus, he comes from a greater line of priesthood. Jesus, he's the best. He's our everything. Again, family, we need to be careful that we're not promoting a certain pastor or a certain church more than we promote Jesus. It can be dangerous for us, right? And there are many pastors that are great and that are awesome. But be careful, family. Even Christians, we can make idols out of pastors. They are just men. They put their pants on the same way as you do, right? They put their socks and shoes on the same way as you do. They struggle with sin just like you struggle with sin. They're not perfect just like you're not perfect. They have arguments with their wives just like you have arguments with your wives, right? These men are not perfect. So we need to be careful when we promote men to a place that they have no business being promoted in, right? It's a little strange to me. It's a little weird to me. There's Christian authors and people wait in line for book signings for them, right? It's a little weird to me, right? I'm just being honest with you guys. But may we see God more than anyone else. Does God want to use men? Yes. Has God used many amazing men? Yes. Are they only amazing because they love the Lord? 
Yes, right? We need to know that. We need to follow that and love that and grow into that more and more. The best of men are men at best. So now we go back to Hebrews chapter 7. And here again, it gives us the synopsis of this man, Melchizedek, right? He's the king of Salem. He's the priest of the Most High. And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings who blessed him. If you remember, this is when Abraham, completely acting in love, goes to save his knucklehead nephew Lot. And he goes to save him and he defeats all these kings and he brings all their spoil. And instead of just keeping the spoil for himself, he gives it to the other people that helped him. And he gives it to the men within his household. He gives them food and drink for what they've done. And now after Abraham has had this great victory, he's met with two kings. He's met with the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's met with this king of Salem. His name Melchizedek, right? And it's the same is true for us that when we have victories in our life, we're going to be met with two kings, the king of the flesh and the king of peace, the king of righteousness. So for us to be on the lookout for that. But Abraham, after he goes through that, he really puts away the king of Sodom. He says, hey, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you because the blessings God is going to do in my life, I don't want them to be attributed to the king of the flesh. So instead now, Abraham, he meets with this king of Salem. The king of Salem, again, he brings him the bread. He brings him the wine. Again, beautiful picture of Christ and the Lord's Supper. And now Abram, he tithes to this king of Salem a tenth of all the spoils that he received in battle. And it's a picture, again, of Jesus before he comes, right? And for us, what should we look at? What should we dive in here, right? There's a particular order that we see here. First, in verse 2, he is the king of righteousness. Then secondly, and there is an order here, he's the king of peace. And family, it comes in that order. I love Charles Spurgeon. He says, peace without righteousness is like the smooth surface of the stream before it takes its awful Niagara plunge. Family, be careful when you're just trying to create peace when there's no righteousness. Right? It's a big warning for us today. Many Christians are trying to make peace with unbelievers, peace with people who believe things that totally contradict our heart and our motive as believers. The only way we can have peace, it's in Jesus Christ. Joe Foshi mentions it a lot with Paul and the way he signs his letters. Right, Grace and peace to you. The same thought here. The only way we can have the peace of God is when we are able to taste of the grace of God. Verse 3, it tells us, hey, he's without father, without mother, without genealogy. Some people say, you see, this is Jesus. This is an angel. But all the author is saying here is that he had no genealogy written about him. And if you've studied the Bible, if you've read the Bible, especially the Old Testament and the beginning of the Gospels, you know that Hebrew people, Jewish people, they love their genealogies, right? But for whatever reason, Melchizedek, he had no genealogy written from his ancestors or even after him. We don't know the day he lived or the day he died. And again, the end of verse 3 tells us why. Because he was made like the Son of God and he remains a priest continually. Again, there's a big word there, like. He is not the Son of God. He was made like unto God, right? A picture of Jesus. Verse 4, consider how great this man was. 
to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. You see, the Jewish people, they had a lot of respect for Abraham, right? Even today we sing that song, Father Abraham. He had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham, right? But Abraham, he's the father of the Jewish faith. He was very important to them. He's the granddaddy of their belief system, of their faith, of the first man that really God brought and completely and radically changed his life. The first man, if you would, that really lived a life of faith. He was the patriarch in their family, in their religion. And even this patriarch tithed to this man, Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews, he slowly drawing this picture for them, revealing to them, hey, even the patriarch of our old faith, which is cool because now Abraham is also the father of our faith because Judaism is kind of like the first half and our Jesus, he finalizes it and gives us the full picture, the full perspective of our Christian faith and our relationship with Jesus. Verse 5, And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So what the author is telling us here is not only did Abraham the father of our faith, tithe to this man, to this king, to this priest Melchizedek. But even Levi, right? Who's Levi? He's one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob, who's his dad? Isaac, who's Isaac's dad? Abraham. So what he's saying is that because Levi was in a sense in the loins, right? Is in the family, the patriarchal system of who Abraham is. It's, he's telling us even Levi, in a sense, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Even Levi, even the Levitical priesthood, in a sense, bowed down to this man and gave him a tenth of all that he had because he was the priest of God. Before even we had known of priests or had thought of priests of God, of Yahweh, of the God of the Bible, here we have this man, Melchizedek. And he says, the commandment to receive tithes, hey, that was the thing in the law. That out of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, they were not allowed to have any portion of property within the promised land. Why? Because Levi... The actual man, right, the actual son of Jacob, he did some evil things. And now he had a curse upon his life. And I love the Levi's. I love their story. I love their backstory. My son, my oldest son, his name is Levi. That name is to attach to something. And the idea there is that the Levites, they're very quick, very prone to either attach They're prone to attach to something. And whatever they attach to, they attach to with all their heart, all their spirit, everything they have. So Levi, he attached to violence, to revenge, to evil, right? But now the Levites, because they were willing when there was evil and turmoil within the tribes of Israel. When there was evil and turmoil within the Jewish people, when they were leaving Egypt, the only people that stood with Moses was the tribe of Levi. And because they stood for righteousness, because they stood for the Lord, now God and Moses blessed them and said, hey, you guys are going to become my priesthood. 
And now, because you don't have any property anywhere, don't worry. The Lord himself, right? God tells him, hey, I will be your reward. I will be your inheritance. And we sung that song today, right? That God, Jesus Christ, he makes us a kingdom of priests. Why? Because God is our inheritance, family. God is the one who gives us blessings. God is the one who blesses us with the things that we have. All that we have, it's because of the Lord. So should we whine and complain if things aren't exactly as we want? No, God, he is enough. And God, he was enough for the Levites, right? They didn't complain. And now through the law, all of Israel was commanded, hey, you need to give a tenth of all that you have to the Levites so that they can care for themselves, they can buy their clothes, they can feed themselves, they can take care of themselves. So again, the author of Hebrews, he's telling them before God even enacted this law for the tribe of Levi, Abraham, the granddaddy of your faith, he tithed to Melchizedek. So we keep going. Verse 7, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. The lesser is blessed by the better. We've looked a little bit at Jacob and Esau. And throughout Judaism, right, throughout the Hebrew people, the oldest son would be blessed. It was an anomaly with, with Jacob and Esau, an anomaly with Isaac and Ishmael, an anomaly with Joseph, that these younger men would be the one that the family would look to as the patriarch to give the blessing to give the tithe, right, that they would have the double portion. That was an anomaly. And now in verse 7, that's what he's saying. Hey, it goes beyond all contradiction that the lesser is blessed by the better. And family, the truth is the same for us today. We are blessed not through us and ourselves. We're blessed from God, from the greater, right? We get our blessings from the better, from the greater. Don't allow your pride to creep in and think you're the one who's blessing God. Sometimes we can think that, right? We're blessed here. We have a great crew that's here and we're setting up. We're trying to provide service, try to provide Bible study for you guys. And pride can come into our minds and we can think, hey, I am blessing God so much here, right? If God only knew who I am and what I've become and how amazing I do church, right? How amazing of a worship leader I am. I'm going to bless God. No, fam, right? Not at all. God is the one who blesses us time and time Again, verse 8 through 10, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. We spoke of that, right? Verse 11, therefore, right? In view of all this, in view of these, verse, of these first 10 verses showing Proving that Melchizedek is greater than the Levites, that his priesthood is greater. Verse 11, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. You see, family, if the Levitical priesthood and the law of the Old Testament really brought men to God, then God wouldn't need to speak of another priesthood in Psalm 110, right? 
he would be able to say in that prophetical psalm of Jesus, hey, this one that is coming, he's from the priesthood of Aaron. But he didn't say that, right? He said he's from the priesthood of Melchizedek for forevermore. And now what he's revealing to us is that the law is not enough. The law is not enough. The law can't get us into a right relationship and friendship with God. It's only Jesus, right? The author and the finisher of our faith. Not only the priesthood, but the perfect lamb of God who was sacrificed, right? Jesus is our everything. Jesus is better than everything else, family. We need to seek Jesus more than anyone else. Our relationship to God, it has to be attached to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the law of an endless life. So again, the author of Hebrews, he knows what these Hebrew believers were thinking. Hey man, there's no way that Jesus can be a high priest because you can only be a high priest if you're from the tribe of Levi. And we know that Jesus, he's what, right? He's the lion of Judah. He comes from the tribe of Judah. That's his lineage, right? Through David, all the way back to Judah. So how in the world can he be our priest? And that's why now the author, he points to the fact that, hey, He's from the likeness of Melchizedek, and his power is not from the flesh. His power is not carnal. His power is because he has eternal life. That's what gives him the power to be our high priest in spite of not being from the tribe of Levi, in spite of no one from Judah being allowed to officiate at the altar, right? And now he begins to, in a sense, turn away from the law of Moses, from the priesthood that Moses had set up through God, that he received through the angels, right? You remember the progression that we've had through the book of Hebrews? And now he points to the fact, hey, Jesus, he's better than all these other things, guys. You can't turn your back on him. You can't leave this faith of ours. Jesus is enough. And not only is he enough, but he's better than anything you've ever done. He's better than anything you've ever tasted of. He's better than any other religion you've ever tried to seek God in. Jesus is the absolute best. He is the absolute best, right? We continue reading. In verse 16, it tells us, but according to the power of an endless life. Again, to think of the power that Jesus has yesterday, today, and forevermore, that he is immortal. He is immortal. He's never had a day where he's been born. We know he had a day where he died, but he did what? He resurrected from the grave, and he has never died since then, right? And he will live for forever. Just like us, if we're attached to Christ, if we have faith in Jesus, if we're truly disciples of Jesus, then we also get to taste of that eternal life. Verse 17, for he testifies you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, right? Psalm 110 is quoted here once again. 
And now no other priest could be a priest for forever, right? Why? Because every other priest died. Every single other priest had a day that he was born and a day that he died. But now David, again, is prophesying of the day Jesus would come. And now he would be our priest for forever. For forever. And again, think of the continuity there having the same pastor in a church for all of eternity, right? We love things being the same, whether we like it or not. We like continuity. We like our being able to sit in the same place every single time we come, being able to see the same faces. And now instead of having things constantly changing, new high priests because they died or they sinned or they messed up, we get to have Jesus as our high priest forever. Right? And there's so much blessing there, right? That he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We talked about today, Matthew 28, that he'll be with us until the end of time. Guys, the high priest, the best high priest ever, he's going to be the high priest for all of eternity. There in heaven with his wounds so that we can be reminded. Again, he's the best high priest ever because he sacrificed his own life for us. He keeps diving into this. Verse 18 and 19, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Again, family, this is how we draw near to God. It's through Jesus Christ, right? Hopefully that's been hammered in this evening. Jesus is the only way we can draw near to God. And now there's basically a big black eye here on the law, on the former commandments. And yet even today, there are people that say, no, we have to go back to the law. No, we have to go back to seeking God through the law. Or no, it's not that the law makes us saved, but it's as we're obedient to the law, now God blesses us. Hey, you got to be careful because Scripture just basically said the opposite. It says the former commandment, hey, it was full of weakness and unprofitableness. The law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing complete. Be careful going back to the law for your form of righteousness between God or your form of saying, hey, I deserve to be blessed because I'm keeping up certain laws. Because then it's going back to what? It's by my works. That God blesses me. It's by my works that God takes care of me. I do such and such and now God owes me. Be careful with that thought process. Even Paul, right? Who was as much of a law person as you could be, right? As a religious of a man that you could be. In Galatians chapter 3, let's turn there. Galatians chapter 3. He has a couple things to say throughout the book of Galatians. How unprofitable the law really is. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he reveals to us what the true purpose of the law is. And in verse 24, he says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. The law was just the thing that taught us that we're not good enough. We're not good enough to keep 10 commandments, right? We're not good enough just to keep 10 laws. And now the Pharisees, they added more laws on top of more laws on top of more laws that made it impossible for people to really be right with God. 
Right? All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is not exactly happy with most of the Pharisees. Lots of warnings to them. Galatians chapter 6, a couple pages to the right. In verse 14 through 15, Paul again tells the people in Galatia. He tells them, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Again, family, the law, all it showed us was our need for Christ. And now after Christ has come, we should not boast, we should not glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing we should glory in. We shouldn't glory in our works or how long we've been saved or how much we think we do for Christ. The only thing we should glory in is that Jesus died on the cross. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, defeated death and defeated sin. That's what we should glory in. We shouldn't be glorying that we're not trimming the corners of our beard, right? We shouldn't glory if we've been circumcised or not or if we wear a head covering or not. We shouldn't glory if we're keeping dietary laws, right? We shouldn't glory in those things. It's a great question to people who say, no, we got to go back to keeping the law. Ask them, hey, do you go back to Jerusalem for all the feasts? Because that was a part of keeping the law, right? Got to be careful when we say we need to go back to the law to receive the blessings of God. Or we need to go back to the law to be right with God. The New Testament, it tells us otherwise. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It's kind of like the last nail in the coffin here that we will look at when it comes to the law and Jesus. The old priesthood of Aaron and the Levites and the priesthood of Melchizedek. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He tells us, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here what Paul is saying is the thing that guides me, the thing that leads my life, the thing that makes me want to be obedient to God is not fear of the law, it is love. That's why I want to be a blessing to God. That's why it doesn't matter if this is okay for my life or not okay for my life, I want to love. That's what I want to do. I want to love as Christ has loved me. And again, this is Paul saying this. Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Levi of Levites, that's who he says, right? He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He is the ultimate religious figure. And he says, all those things are but dung. All those things are but fertilizer. All those things are but trash. I need the gospel. I need Jesus. I need to follow him more than anything, right? Again, family, we obey now because of the love of God. Not because of the fear of the law. We obey because of the love of God. We obey because we want to reciprocate that love back to Him. That is why our lives should be changing. Not because, oh, I need to keep X, Y, or Z law. I need to love Him and grow and mature because I love Him. Because I care about Him. Just like in any relationship that you really care about the person, your love matures. Your love grows with that person if you truly love them. If you truly grateful for them but now if it's just afraid that they're going to come or go that's a dangerous relationship to have we keep going hebrews chapter 7 and now verse 20 it tells us and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath 
for they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. The author of Hebrews is telling us here, hey, the priests, the Levites, they didn't have to do an oath to become a priest. If you were in the tribe of Levi, if you were in the lineage of the high priest, that's all it took to become a high priest, right? But now in a sense, Jesus, before the world began, God almost had Jesus promise and swear an oath saying, hey, you're going to become a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, right? So he's saying, again, he's better than any priesthood out there. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he lives and he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. We looked at that, right? Continuity of Jesus, that he's our priest forever. It's not going to change. It's not going to get more strict or less strict. It's not going to all of a sudden become evil or messed up. There are a lot of high priests that were messed up. There are a lot of priests and Pharisees that were not a good representation of who God is to the people. But now we have Jesus who he's going to be. He is the perfect representation of who God is to the people. Verse 25, therefore, right, so much comfort here. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, family, Jesus, he's not in heaven just being bored. He's not in heaven doing nothing. He's not in heaven taking a nap or taking a great big rest until he comes back to rapture us home. No, he's making intercession for us. He's always ready. He's always living to make intercession for us. What an amazing high priest. He's always awake. He's never sleeping. He's always making intercession for the people. He's praying for us. He's caring for us. You can think of Peter, right? And Jesus warns him, hey, Satan, he wants to sift you like wheat. But hey, don't worry, Peter. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Jesus is doing the same for us. Before we get into the temptation, while we're in the midst of the trial, Jesus is praying for us. Man, Lord, please help Zach. Strengthen him. Fill him. Do this work within him. We continue verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled, separate from sinners. And he has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those other high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Again, family, we have the best high priest ever. He's never sinned. He's never made a mistake. And he himself became the sacrifice for our sins. He is holy. He is undefiled. He's separate from sinners. We can go to Christ and we don't have to be worried that he's doing things out of false or vain motives, right? Sometimes it's sad in churches. Some pastors, they won't talk with people because they don't give a certain amount in the tithe. 
because they're not famous enough. And now the pastor treats them like second-class citizens. Family, you don't have to worry about that with Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He wants his friendship and relationship with you. Right? If you're on the other end of the spectrum, that there's a pastor and he wants to get in with all the rich people, all the people with affluence, right? They're having a building project, so he's trying to rub shoulders and do favors for all the people who do construction in the church. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus, he's not coming for your money. He's not coming for your title or your position. He has it all. He has it all, and yet he wants to be your friend. Yet he wants to be your big brother. Yet he wants this relationship and friendship with you. So again, family, for us to take comfort in who Jesus was and is and is to come, right? There's a pastor and he made a teaching of the things that Jesus is doing today. Sometimes we forget what he's doing today. It's important to remember the cross. It's important to remember the resurrection. But family, today, Christ, he's praying for us. Today, he's making intercession for us to the Father. Right? That's so special, guys. That's so important for us, for our value, for our worth. And Jesus himself is making intercession for you to the Father.